Good evening, cruisers. On this episode, we explore a new tool. A tool that harnesses the power of sunlight to help folks on the ground, on the earth that is, determine the wobbliness of assets in space. I think that this tool has the potential to be the next binoculars in the game of hunting for planets. Thank you so much for tuning in to Cruising on the Cutting Edge. Uh, whether this is you know your first time or your 50th, as I understand some people need to take the time to do that uh, for some of my episodes, you are in the right place to learn something new every time. Here on the show, we cruise from one exciting research development to the next, going from university to university, research institute to research institute. I am Wellington Froelich, your faithful driver, fearless host, forging our path on the cutting edge. Last week, we uh, discovered the applications of machine learning in the medical industry. Uh, We've only just begun to scratch that opportunity, in my opinion, uh, at least on this show. The algorithm they made interpreted patients' past medical history and used it to predict mortality uh, into the next 12 months. They also came up with uh, a way to interpret the machine learning results. This is something I forgot to mention in the last paper, but machine learning results and interpreting them uh, are key to saying, hey, you need to stay in this hospital or start considering palliative care uh, to the patient. Otherwise, you're just telling them, oh, this AI came up with, spit out these results, so you have you have to take drastic measures. No, you can't really just say that. You have to say, this is what it thought uh, about uh, your past medical history and why you should consider these things. So, listing off all the diseases and the reasons why. So, um, <clears throat> very interesting topic go check that episode out cruisers if there is someone you are attracted to and you don't know what to say you can try hey you are 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 you a machine learning algorithm because i'd like to get to know your hidden layers or 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 you could say if it's on a more serious level pardon me i wrote this ai algorithm that determines who the love of my life will be. Um, I ran through every possibility in the world and the results all point to you. You know, it just depends on how serious you want to be. Uh, This week, we are touring southeast, a little from Stanford to the University of Arizona again, where we have discovered some amazing research on the practical applications of using light to measure distant vibrations of satellites. The technical term is polarimetric vibrometry, and the new tool is called HITEP. HITEP has major implications in the maintenance of expensive assets using inexpensive monitoring of, me- of mechanical uh, vibrations, which can tear up a satellite over time. But before we buckle in, let's fuel up with a few uh, quick announcements. 
the show actually has grown, folks. I just wanted to mention that there are now cruisers spreading to a lot of continents. I know I noticed more folks in Germany, new cruisers in Spain, Singapore, and the UK. I was very excited about that. Uh, I apologize for last week. Uh, also, I was I was sick, and uh, so I couldn't focus on anything and get this paper out, uh, this episode out. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. Let's buckle on up in our 1962 orange and white Volkswagen Type 2. It's that one that looks like a van. And head on down to the University of Arizona, where we bump into a familiar face. Someone I actually know and work with on a day-to-day basis. Her name is Juliana Richter. And she is a recent CATS grad with her PhD in optical engineering. So congrats to her. In her 2022 paper titled Linear Stokes Hypertemporal Polarimeter for Long-Range Characterization of Vibrating Objects. Kind of a brain cramp there. She describes a device nicknamed HITEP. That's H-Y-T-E-P which monitors the vibrations of satellite in geostationary orbit. So that's kind of the furthest that out that they go and they're still orbiting the Earth. There's some others, but that that's a pretty big orbit where lots of communication satellites uh, and, and government um, satellites are based because they can stay over a particular spot on the Earth at all times. First, Folks, we will drive down Theory Lane, followed by a hop and a skip through Hardware and Testing Square. And finally, we will bank back onto the on-ramp to the future. So this high-tep device is a big leap in optimization of resources and money uh, for space. It's, it's a lot cheaper um, than using active uh, monitoring shining light at your spacecraft, which can also be actually illegal (laughs) in some cases. Anyway, the concept is to use passive sunlight that bounces off massive solar panels on these massive spacecraft out of geo to understand mechanical vibrations in the structure, basically to gather whether or not the spacecraft is shaking to a point where operators need to be concerned. The light passes through the atmosphere and is collected inside of an aperture on a telescope where it shoots through a series of optical devices, crystals, and lenses that filter the light. So let's go a little more in depth into this. The way we understand light is partially as a wave that oscillates in space. A wave of energy which has two components a magnetic field and an electrical field that move uh, perpendicular to each other each of these fields can move in a particular direction up or down or in a circle or ellipse as it propagates through space this is called the polarization angle of the light But the light coming from the sun, however, is unpolarized. So it has components in all directions randomly. 
And this is because the electrons that emit the light that are vibrating really, really hot at, in the, inside of the sun are random. Um, and so they propagate light randomly. When this light hits a reflective surface on, for example, a satellite dish, the, uh, the light loses certain amounts of energy in particular directions due to the material. When the satellite is vibrating, so you can, uh, you can predict the way in which that sort of light will reflect off of a certain type of material. Silicon wafers are typically what are found in solar panels. So that's how you can predict um, what uh, the normal reflected re reflection would be like. Now, if it's vibrating, the material actually changes properties slightly where the solar panel is moving up or down. Um, and so the change in that, in that reflection in those particular directions and that, and those energies in those particular polarization angles indicates a vibration. So this, this light hits the solar panel, then heads down to earth where it enters a series of lenses, lenses which straighten out the rays and Wollaston prisms, which actually break the light down into four different polarizations thanks to the material, which is what they call a uniaxial crystal. I liken this concept to a river with sandbanks in the middle, parting the slow moving water from the fast moving water. So this uniaxial material, which can be made of quartz, calcite, or fair, fair warning, brain cramp here, yttrium orthovanidate, uh, parts the light reflected by the satellite into different polarization angles. One that moves vertically, one that moves horizontally, for example. So the intensities of those indicate different vibrations on the satellite. Juliana's design calls for two such prisms, which allow for greater information to be gathered on the mechanical vibrations of the satellite, as well as the orientation of the panels. So she's looking at four different polarization angles, which indicate and provide more data than other polarimeters and vibrometers out there. So anyway, all this light then falls onto the camera whose data is analyzed by her algorithm, which is based on the Fresnel reflection equations. They're actually much simpler than I thought they would be. And you can go check them out online. Um, but any, this, anyway, this is where she finds out which way the satellite is shaking and how bad. There is so much to unpack in this theory section. So I'm going to leave a lot of it to a discussion we will have with her in person, hopefully this next week. But I really do want to say, I wish they taught the essence of light uh, better in high school and, and college uh, than the, what they are currently doing. So much of the focus is on, oh, there's atoms and electrons. But I think there's, there's, there's such a big 
um, application of light as we're now seeing, as TransAstra is doing, as many, many companies are pursuing in space and in, in um, simple manufacturing processes here on the earth. So I wish that had just been the case, but regardless, I'm ge we're getting this education now here on Cruising on the Cutting Edge. So I think this is a great time to move on. All right, driving on to hardware and testing square. This one is a fun one, Cruisers. There are, so there are three components to the hardware. We have the light that shines on to the object. Then we have the object itself. And finally, the optics in HITEP. We have HITEP. So in her paper, Juliana mentioned being on a tight budget, as graduate students often are. Uh, she describes uh, in her paper how she actually had to use her phone flashlight in testing uh, because, well, the the sun was not, for two reasons, the sun was not in the lab where environmental variables are controllable. And, and two, regular light bulbs flicker naturally at 60 hertz if they're connected to the U.S. power grid, which can throw off some of the high tech. You can filter that out, but... She found that her phone flashlight, even though it flickers a little at 30 hertz, um, is it was best for testing. So this um, this is sometimes, uh, yeah, like I said, too visible to see the, the light coming from the regular light bulb. Um, then she worked on a series of tests using a boosted. So the, this is her first test. She used a a boosted bass speaker because she could put up, um, put it up next to her phone and play particular types of beats on it, frequencies that she knew were um, being emanated from this speaker. And then she set up a high tech uh, device and uh, lined it and pointed it at the speaker. And one of her graphs shows that it was actually very accurate um, in and able to pick up the frequencies at which the speaker was vibrating at until it kind of got to higher, faster vibrations. Uh, then she went on to uh, her next test, which is even more challenging. She, she stuck a little piezoelectric chip on the end of a rod, uh, basically, and glued a silicon wafer onto the piezoelectric. We, we've talked about these piezoelectrics before, these PZTs, as they're sometimes called, can be manipulated uh, to act like very fine motors. It's, it, you send a current through this crystalline structure and it shifts. So it can push something around or, or um, pull something. And you can do all sorts of fun things with uh, piezoelectric motors. Or they can be used as sensors, inducing a current into your sensing circuit whenever they are vibrated, which is how she used it. So she shone her phone at the silicon wafer and measured how the PZT vibrated and compared that to the data she got in HITEP. So this is actually very interesting because it allows her to simulate a spacecraft and that there is a secondary structure on the primary structure and they oscillate at different frequencies. This is, this, this is like, so she, she plucked the rod on which the silicone and PZT wafer were standing on. So that's vibrating at one frequency, but then the, the PZT is actually vibrating at another. So 
it's like a solar panel oscillating at a different frequency than the large spacecraft body. This time, HITEP was probably also set up on the optical bench, um, which is an amazing tool, and performed really well, even uh, across an even broader range of frequencies. So I will have to ask her how that is, um, since when she pointed at the bass speaker, it wasn't that um, effective, or it, in higher, it was it was very effective in higher regencies, but it started to wane. But in the second test, it didn't. Also, I love to see some photos of the test setup. That's something I'm missing here, but I have to give it to her. She made did an incredible job writing this paper. It's very well written and easy to understand some for someone like me. So the last set of testing was out in the field, which took a fun detour to her Prius. This test involved playing music again in her Prius, setting up a sensor on her uh, rear view mirror, which is called an accelerometer, to measure vi vibrations um, in the mirror due to her bass-boosted Britney Spears or whatever it was she was playing. Um, and HITEP, looking at that mirror, picking up sunlight reflected off of the uh, sidewalk actually outside. She made a point to tilt the mirror at the sidewalk because the light coming off of that is uniform and distributed in such a way that uh, it's easy to work with. So this also resulted in a, um, some interesting uh, results. So <laughs> she was able to pick up the lower frequencies with HITEP, um, but the accelerometer went off in a different direction than HITEP did. Um, and so she actually had to do some analysis of the accelerometer tool. Um, and we can get into that when we talk with her more, but the results were positive and, um, all in all, the testing concludes that HITEP is capable of making um, use of passive sunlight to find and measure vibrations in distant objects. So, cruisers, let's glide back onto the on-ramp to the future. I believe this is more than one space application especially uh, for TransAstra. Part of TransAstra's mission is to monitor all the, the uh, satellite traffic between here and the moon using a unique telescope spacecraft design that we have. If we took HITEP though onto a separate spacecraft, we could then monitor and provide even more details about customers' assets, their wobbliness, et cetera. Juliana mentions, several additional applications for this technology, including remote sensing of turbulence in the ocean. Um, again, we can slap HITEP here onto a spacecraft that appears down onto the Earth's waters, uh, which scatter sunlight. Any sort of turbulent areas, uh, whether that's due to a storm or perhaps an oncoming tsunami or uh, the like, are picked up by HITEP and can help ships navigate around that area and whatnot. 
the the fact that uh, light passes if you're if you you're probably thinking about the storm well there's got to be clouds and such well the the fact that the light passes through the atmosphere actually has little effect on the ability to sense vibrations of course if if there is physical blockage it will have a harder time so um, anyway this is why I think actually high tip could be an awesome new tool in the planet hunting game if if we can already find exoplanets and other systems. Why not use HITEP to point it at those planets and see if there are aren't any oceans on on board of those of those uh, satellites out there? Satellites is just a generic term for objects in space. By the way, the the other industry that Juliana mentions using HITEP is is much closer to home in the process of manufacturing silicon wafers for computer chips and whatnot there are stages that induce vibrations causing imperfections in these small chips if you used high tep you could point it at these various stages where they're held by different devices and whatnot and use passive light from the lab uh, to see and uh, source the point of error that's causing your product to uh, deteriorate in quality. I, I have to really uh, commend Juliana on, on, on this paper because she, she does work with me and I can't go really bashing her. Um, but in all serious, she, uh, she considered everything, even employing neural networks in the process to identify material properties that the light is bouncing off of into high tep. Uh, when I was reading this paper, that was something that jumped into my mind and will always probably continue to um, after the conversation with Joel and, and also doing this past uh, neural network paper. Um, what, why couldn't we use something like that to imp improve whatever science? Uh, it, I mean, they, it has applications in practically everything. So yes, she talked about that and, and mentions that it's already actually been done using molar matrix polarimetry. Um, so this, uh, this of course has big implications for monitoring things in space, like, you know, the Sputniks of the day, as well as characterizing and valuing asteroids as well as space debris. And, and yes, I, I mean valuing space debris because even in space, the law that one man's treasure is another man's treasure still holds. Uh, so folks, what do you think you could use HITEP to monitor using passive sunlight? I have to mention there, there is one super fun application that I will save until I actually interview her that she told me about, um, just to give a little cliffhanger. But uh, what in your life could you uh, use a HITEP for? I uh, wonder if it actually could be used as an early warning system for earthquakes. Uh, looking down from Earth again. Uh, you know, as soon as there's a large change in the level of the Earth, it could shoot a warning uh, down to the various systems that we have on Earth. Um, I, I know they already use assets in space to help, but this is another possibility in, uh, of remote sensing. So, cruisers, let me know. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, let me know what you think. Uh, please share these stories with your friends and family. I'm sure they'll be interested to know about 
high temp vibrometer that could potentially save their lives in an earthquake. Please do drop a comment uh, on all those platforms, like and subscribe on Spotify, Amazon, Overcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Anchor. Um, email me at cruisin with Wellington. So that's C R U I S I N with Wellington uh, at gmail.com. And I hope you all have a great week. I look forward to seeing you back in the leather bucket seats next time on Cruising on the Cutting Edge. My song recommendation for this episode is Blinding Lights by The Weeknd. It's the pop song. Go check it out.